Hi, and welcome back to Units of World War II. My name is Christopher Hahn. I'm your host. We will pick up right where we left off in part two, uh, just right after the fourth ID helped liberate Paris, and they kept moving through Belgium. We'll kind of do a quick refresher, and then we'll jump right into the Siegfried Line and go from there. So by September 3rd of 1944, they had reached St. Quentin, La Cateau, and Lanry Cés. And on the 4th, 5th, and 6th, they turned eastward in a final sweep across the Meuse River and Belgian border, and headed towards the German border and the Siegfried Line. There's speculation on how tough the Siegfried Line would be. Some said there was nothing to it, while others said it would be very tough to get through. The Belgian Maquis, or Belgian Resistance Forces, gave lots of intel to the 4th on the enemy's activities. The 4th ID would be the first infantry division unit to enter Germany on the night of the 11th of September. First a small patrol, then followed by the whole division on the 12th. Two days later, the assault on the Siegfried line began, and within two to three hours, two whole combat teams had cut through the line and fanned out on top of Schnee Eiffel. On their way there, there were many German pillboxes, each with overlapping fields of fire. So if you think of a bunker or a pillbox kind of sitting on a hill or an outlook, and you imagine the ways in which their machine guns um, angle in and out, kind of like a fan. They can hit targets on either side of them, and then when they kind of point towards the middle, so imagine two pillboxes, one on the left, one on the right, distance out a little bit, machine guns pointing straight out, angle one machine gun to the right and the other to the left. They can hit separate targets. You kind of move them in closer together as they're angling towards each other. So kind of imagine a graphic with like a fan. And when you swing those machine guns in towards each other, they will have overlapping fields of fire. That little fan of where they can fire will, will overlap. The only way to take out these pillboxes without armor support was to get around to the back where there was minimal protection. Otherwise, tanks and artillery shells could be called in to suppress the pillboxes. Flamethrowers were used to clear out the Germans by either burning them out or suffocating them. You would have to get close enough to fire directly into the apertures of the pillboxes. Another thing that they would use were satchel charges, which had long fuses attached to 12 pounds of TNT, and that was six pounds of TNT per side of a saddle-like bag. So it's a bag with kind of two flaps on it, six pounds one side, six pounds on the other side. And this would kill or stun everyone inside. But by September 18th, it became clear that they could not sustain this drive. The troops were too spread out along the first army sector of the line. They were spread from Aachen to the southern tip of Luxembourg. And gaps existed on both flanks too. There was a period of waiting and readjusting, filled with lots of patrolling. The morale started to sink as the weather got worse. Mud, continuous rain, and fog. A new sector was assigned on October 5th, just north of the previous sector. They prepared for an attack on October 8th, but it didn't happen. Throughout all of October, the 4th ID sat in place, enduring the harsh weather, German artillery, and German buzz bombs. In early November, the 4th ID moved north again and was assembled in a forest east of Eupen and southeast of Aachen. This move was top secret. Everything pointing out the unit's designation was removed and destroyed, so that'd be the shoulder patches, the designations on the vehicles that are painted on the front bumpers, 
Letters and documents were also destroyed. Trucks were blacked out. And Berlin Sally, the German propaganda radio hostess, made a welcoming announcement to the incoming 4th ID. The secretive attempts did not work. This would eventually become known as the most grueling battle in Europe from D-Day to V-E-Day. Hurtgen Forest. The mission was to seize the main road from Hurtgen to Duren. The 4th ID started this attack on November 16, 1944. And the German strength here was vastly underestimated. It was so valuable to the Germans that they had placed four divisions there to stop one U.S. division. The 4th ID attacked through the Hurtgen on November 16, 1944. Hurtgen was a forest of pines and firs that were up to 150 feet tall. In many places, the forest was so dense that visibility was reduced to only 10 yards. There were also a series of steep ridges and deep ravines. The Germans used all this terrain to their advantage while staging defenses, and extensive minefields and barbed wire were laid out. Actually, Ivan Schwartz's buddy lost a leg to one of the landmines. His landmines were referred to as bouncing betties, and they had three tiny prongs that shone through the ground wherever you laid these. Only five pounds of pressure was needed to set it off, and it would take off one leg below the knee while shattering the other. No one was safe within 40 yards of this device, as it would shoot up about 10 to 20 feet into the air and then explode, shooting out ball bearings. The bunkers in the Hurtgen were made of thick logs that may as well have just been concrete. Artillery had to be lobbed in directly on top to be effective. Tree bursts didn't affect the bunkers either. And what tree bursts were is when an artillery shell would explode, um, not at the base of the tree, but kind of in the middle of the tree, and it would send shrapnel and chunks of tree and splint, huge splinters everywhere. So it made the incoming artillery shells basically twice as deadly. The fourth idea was just coming out of some well-deserved rest into this battle, and this battle threw conditions at them that they haven't experienced yet. Quote from Ivan Schwartz, quote, trees mangled, shelling, artillery, the Germans and ours, and mines. They had one of those tanks with a big heavy thing swap underground to detonate mines, end quote. One day, Ivan saw three men, two Germans who had given up, and the third was a wounded American they were bringing back to the line. Just an interesting story of humanity that you see from time to time throughout World War II. There's even nasty rain and snow. Instead of the usual two men to a foxhole, they would go to three men. That way, they would have a full tent with an extra shelter half to lay on, and an extra body and wool blanket for heat. So, shelter half sounds... it's, it's exactly as it sounds. Each soldier would have one shelter half, two halves, make a hole. So that's why they wanted to go with three. So then you have an extra one to lay on. And those do actually make a huge difference when you're sleeping on the ground. I do uh, World War II reenacting. And so there's actually some events where you go out, you dig foxholes and everything like that. You live like they did well, as closely as possible um, when they were on the front line. And having something on the ground between you and just the dirt or mud or whatever makes a hell of a difference. As artillery rained down, casualties streamed back. American P-47s were flying support, strafing the Germans. George Wilson, from If You Survive, recalls the 50 cal brass shells raining on his men. And some actually pocketed these as souvenirs. And that just goes to show how close to the ground those P-47s were. 
If you're close to the enemy, you're the safest from their artillery. Your best cover from artillery and tree bursts was behind large trees. Laying down was actually more prone to splinters and tree bursts. So actually kind of standing behind the trees or crouching behind them was usually better. If you're laying down, then a lot of those tree bursts and splinters get you more often. Constant rain filled the meager foxholes that they were able to dig and brought in trench foot to a lot of the men taking cover there. Just two months before, the 4th ID was able to make gains of about 50 miles a day. Now, it was only 500 yards a day, and that was a good day. Fire movement was the primary strategy for a rifle squad. Soldiers would burst forward a few yards while the others lay down covering fire. When they were set, they provide covering fire while the others move. This was effective at taking positions, but oftentimes produced high casualties. Fire movement is the general term for that strategy, and then when the actual movement itself is called bounding, because you're bounding from one space to the next, kind of like jumping or taking big steps, but you're taking a few yards, diving down, laying down covering fire, telling your buddies that you're set, and then they move up. And that's basically the only chance you had in thick woods with a lot of bunkers and machine guns. Each day's objective was essentially the next set of enemy bunkers in front of them, then hold up, then the next layer of bunkers. The casualty rate for the 4th ID was higher in Hurtgen Forest than it was on D-Day. Some companies would be brought up to full strength to have it halved again two days later. Objectives were taken and held by small companies of only 20 to 45 men, and they withstood brutal counterattacks. Even battalion CPs, or command posts, were shelled frequently. One battalion counted a total of four commanders lost in one day. Once, a complete battalion staff was wiped out by artillery fire, and officers had to be called back from the front lines to form new staff. Hurtgen was a horrific mess, but filled with heroic stories. One such instance was about a soldier who had his foot blown off by a mine. As he lay in agony, some Germans sneaked out and placed a booby trap under him so that when the medics came to him, they would be destroyed. The wounded man remained conscious, and finally, when rescued 70 hours later, he was able to warn his rescuers of the trap, the wires of which were cut. Casualties were so high and movement through the forest so hazardous that wounded and supplies had to be moved via hand carriers. Hand carriers would bring supplies up and then bring casualties back. When the 4th ID left the forest, they had completed their mission. The Hurricane Duran Road had been overrun. General Collins saluted the 4th ID for its part in the Battle of the Hurricane Forest. Quote, Combat in the woods calls for top-notch leadership on the part of small unit commanders and the highest order of individual courage. The drive of the 4th Division across the sector of the Hurricane Forest required a continuous display of these qualities under the most adverse conditions of terrain and weather. The strong enemy defenses were reinforced by the ruggedness of the hills, and the inadequate road net was continually blocked by mines and fallen trees. As a result, much of the fighting had to be done without benefit of our custom tank and tank destroyer support, and for several days, some units could be supplied only by a hand carry of food and ammunition while the evacuation of wounded was exceedingly difficult. The fact that the 4th Division overcame these many difficulties and drove the enemy from the dominant hills overlooking the Roar River is a tribute to the skill, determination, and aggressiveness of all ranks. 
It is with keen regret that the 7th Corps releases its oldest combat division, but it is with pride and satisfaction that we salute the officers and men of the 4th Infantry Division for its achievement in the Battle of the Hurtgen Forest. End quote. After Hurtgen, the 4th ID was placed into a defensive position on a 35-mile front along the Sauer and Moselle rivers north and east of Luxembourg on December 12, 1944. And we will stop there for this part, since the Hurtgen Forest is a pretty big battle. And the next part that we'll move into will actually be the Battle of the Bulge. And that will take up a good chunk of time as well. If you have any questions or comments or want to point anything out or have any interesting tidbits, please send me an email uh, to units of World War II. And that's just WW2. Oh, it's all lowercase at gmail.com. That's units of ww2 at gmail.com. That's where you can reach me. Uh, hopefully in, in the near future I will have a Facebook page up and running. So you can also contact me that way or share different things. I'll need to start researching my next unit as I'm getting close to the end of the fourth infantry division story. So if there's any suggestions for any type of unit, please let me know. I'm eager to learn about all the different units that served during World War II. Um, unless I can't find one, I was thinking I would do the 1st Infantry Division, the, and that's better known as the Big Red One, as they have a lot of interesting history. Otherwise, thank you for listening and checking out my podcast.